All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, the uh, Scripture is printed in the bulletin, in the back part of the bulletin this morning. And I thought I wanted to preach on something beside, uh, between books. Of course, I finished Second John, and we're going to Third John. And just to preach on the commitments of husbands. I don't think I've dealt with this subject for quite a while uh, from the Word of God. I believe that all will realize that there are many responsibilities uh, in the household between for the mother and for the father, for the husband and for the wife. And often there is a lack of balance in all those things. But Peter does give us some sense that there are obligations and responsibilities for several groups of people. In fact, in Peter it tells us slaves are responsible to their masters. Masters are responsible to their slaves. Children are responsible to their parents. Parents are responsible to the children. That wives are responsible to the husbands and husbands must be responsible to his wife. Everybody has responsibility when it comes to to God's program. No one is exempt from responsibility. Nobody. It, is, it has been said that the husband must be the thermostat in the home, setting the emotional and spiritual temperature. And the wife is often the thermometer. She uh, lets the husband know how the temperature is doing. If it's too hot or if it's too cold or if it's in between. And that, in some Respects is, is a good analogy of really the husband and wife relationships. But husbands need to know how to set the spiritual thermostat and the emotional thermostat so there is a comfortable atmosphere in their home. So they create an environment because of their knowledge of the Word of God that is wholesome. And that is one that people can learn in and grow in. Thankfully, the Lord has given us husbands a manual, a operating manual. Operating manuals are very important. Every time you buy a vehicle, every time you get a vehicle, one of the first things that I do when I get that vehicle is, is I look in my glove compartment to look at the operating manual, manual especially when it comes to changing my oil. Because I've noticed throughout the years that the different cars that I own, that some cars take three quarts of oil, some take four, some take five, and some take even more. Well, one day I was doing the oil on one of my vehicles, and um, I assumed that this car took five quarts of oil. And then I changed my oil, did my thing, went on my way, and then the next day I, I pulled in and I said, I'm going to just check the manual. And it said in the manual, this car takes four quarts of oil. Do not overfill. So I got the ramps out, pulled the car up on the ramps, and of course I proceeded to take a quart and a little bit more out of my engine. See, operating manuals are vitally important, aren't they? Well, you know what? Thank the Lord God's given men an operating manual. You know what it's called? It's called the Bible, right? In the Bible, it gives us what we need to know to set the spiritual uh, thermostat in our home. 
right here in the Word of God. And so, taking responsibility for the spiritual atmosphere really is going to include four commitments that a husband must maintain in his relationship with his wife. The first commitment is, of course, the commitment to dwell with them. Secondly, is the commitment to be considerate to them. Thirdly, is the commitment to treat them with honor. And fourthly, the commitment to maintain a spiritual atmosphere in the home. Some years ago, and and often in my marriage counseling, I start out with a blurb that was given by, I think it was Jay Adams or uh, Wayne Mack, I can't remember which one. But he he included in his material an article by... Ann Landers. You ever remember Ann Landers? She's do the column in the paper about she was the advice lady. You call her uh, the answer lady, they used to call her. Uh, and she wrote a column one time entitled, The Answer Lady Has No Answers. And she really meant what she said that particular day because she acknowledged after 36 years of marriage, her and her husband were divorcing. After giving tons of people advice on marriage, And she expressed her astonishment at what had happened because she said they once had a very, very close and good relationship. And Landers' perplexing question, how did it happen that something so good turned out so bad? And she related that when they married, they enjoyed each other. They liked each other. They were friends. They were lovers. They were confidants. They were excited about each other. But over the years, she, in the aftermath, she realized and evaluated that um, the relationship had really, really deteriorated. Uh, affection turned into apathy, and excitement turned into exasperation. Attraction turned into aversion. Enjoyment turned into enmity, and, uh, and it ended. And, you know, that's a sad story, is it not? But it does not have to be that way for people who have the operating manual, for people who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have the Spirit of God in them. Part of what the Spirit of God does is He gives you not only the knowledge and wisdom, but the power to put the Word of God into practice and to be to your wife a loving husband. And it's safe to say that most couples who marry they really marry because they enjoy each other, right? They marry because they are excited about each other. I don't, I've never heard anybody get married uh, because they hated each other. No, that's, it's too great a commitment, right? I mean, I've got I to want and like and to spend the rest of my life with this person. Something's got to be going on there. It, it can't just be, uh, you know, just... Passing stuff. It has to be, there's got to be some substance there. I think, but off, far too often, it changes for many couples. And like the Ann Lander situation, it become, it's not an isolated incident. Many things have happened like that. But it doesn't have to be that way. I just want to let you know this morning that with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the power of God, it doesn't have to be like that. A marriage could be the most fulfilling, exciting, uh, just growing relationship, you, could, you, you would never dream uh, possible uh, on this side of eternity. And the Lord wants us to be sweethearts all our days. That's what He wants. That's what the Spirit of God wants us to be. 
And he's given us everything for that to happen. For those who know the Lord as their Savior. So, what marriage is about in Scripture is this. Fulfillment. It's about commitments. That's what marriage is in God's eyes. A commitment. And marriage was not man's invention. Marriage was God's design and invention, right? So, God does hold the operating manual on how to do it. So, if you change the oil and you put five quarts in, and your car only takes four quarts, you're in trouble, right? Well, it's the same way in marriage. If you've done things wrong, let's go back to the operating manual, find out how to do it right, right? Confess our sin. And then ask the Lord to give us the strength, the wisdom, and the power now the, to undo some of the things that we wrecked, right? And get back to what we ought to be doing. And if you are young men in the congregation and you are looking forward to being married, don't think you know it all. Just because you even grew up in the church. You don't. Because when you get into the reality of it, marriage is a situation where you have to work hard at it, right? And you have to make it work with what God has given you. And it is a commitment. That's what it is in Scripture, a commitment. So if certain commitments are maintained, the husband can supply the physical, the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual needs of his wife, and then, let me say this, his whole family. If your relationship as a husband and wife is right, that is the greatest picture and example that you can give to your kids of the love that Christ had for the church, right? And that, that means you're doing it, not being perfect, not having everything right, but the direction of your life has been to honor God in your marriage. And you know what? Everybody around you know it. They know it. They know you're faithful. They know what you're made of. So let's look at the four commitments for husbands, for men with their wives. The first one, First Peter chapter 3 in verse number 7, I'm going to look at this whole verse. In fact, all the commitments come out of this verse. And here's the first one. It says, you husbands. Notice how it says it there in verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, and I'll, I'll mention what that is in the same way in a second. In the same way, live with your wives. You see that? It says, in the same way, live with your wives. The phrase, in the same way, refers back to the commitments the wife ought to have to the husband. I'm not dealing with the wives this morning. I'm dealing with the husbands this morning. But just look up to verse number 1, and this is where it's coming from. It says here, in the same way as you wives, now he gives an example of people being committed in relationships. Uh, before this, but look what it says in verse number 1, verse, chapter 3, 1 Peter. In the same way you wives... Be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So in verse 1, he's giving this. Even if your husband's unsaved, doesn't want to serve God, and it could be, go back and forth, too. It could be the wife that doesn't want to, is not saved and don't want to serve God. This applies to both, but specifically to the woman, that there's a way to win her husband over. And how's, how does she do that? By the behavior. By behavior. By how they act in the home. Look what it says in verse 2. As they observe their, your chaste and respectful behavior, that's what the husband's looking at. He's looking at 
your honorable behavior, your pure behavior, and your respectful behavior. And then in notice verse number three, your, ador- your adornment must not be merely external, the braiding of hair, the wearing uh, gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. And, of course, you know, most women get the aesthetic part of it, don't they? Women can make their, their selves look beautiful. They have the ability to do that. But God says that's not what I'm talking about specifically. That's only a small part of it. The part I'm talking about is verse 4. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is what? Precious in the sight of God. So, see, the woman, here's the key. The woman is living before God, and she knows what God likes. And what God likes, lo and behold, That's what the man likes. Deep in his heart, he wants a woman like that, who's honorable in her heart, who uh, has just a quality of heart that is very attractive, a gentle and quiet spirit, and she has a relationship with the Lord. That's what the husband wants. And then in verse 5 it says, For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have, have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And then, of course, there it is in verse 7, you husbands in the same way. That means the husbands, too, now, they have a commitment before God. This is the wife's role and design. Here is the man's role and design. And what's the first one? Men, it says, you are to live with your wives. That's an obligation you have to live with her. Uh, now, what does that mean? It means several things. It means, number one, there's an intimacy that you can have with your wife that you never had before. In fact, the Greek term he uses here to uh, mean live with is the term to dwell in a tent. Now, last night, yesterday we were camping and some of us dwelled in some tents overnight. Well, I don't know about you, but tent dwelling is very restrictive and very close. No walls. And if you do have a wall, the walls that they used to have in tents were just tent walls, cloth walls. That means when you lived in a tent, you lived in very close proximity with each other, right? You couldn't go in a room and lock the door and not let people in. All right? It wasn't like that. So the Bible is saying, listen, husbands, you don't live with them in close proximity in intimacy, in a way that you weren't allowed to do before because you weren't married. And it does come from the passage of Scripture in the Old Testament where it says uh, here, for this reason a man, remember, shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave or be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. Now, part of it is leaving your parents. But leaving your parents' uh, relationship means that your relationship with your parents in, in some ways is radically changed when you get married. It means that you must establish an adult relationship now with your parents, and now you have a new relationship with your wife, right? It, it also means that you must be more concerned about your wife's ideas and your wife's opinions and your wife's practices than those of your parents. It also means that you must be not be slavishly dependent on your parents, and many people are, maybe more so in this generation, uh, but because of 
of the need of the economic need, the social need, right, that people have. But men who get married should not be slavishly dependent on their parents for affection or approval or assistance or counsel. She, he needs to leave them in that relationship, in a, and now it's got a, they're going to have a different relationship. It also means that you must eliminate any bad attitudes towards your parents. And the reason for that is that you may be emotionally tied to your parents, regardless how far you li- move away from them, because of some unforgiven weight or sin or something that had gone wrong with your relationship with your parents, and now you drag that all over the place, and it even affect, it will affect your home somewhere down, down the line. It also means that you must, be, you must stop trying to change your uh, wife simply because maybe your parents don't like certain things about her. The way she is, or whatever it may be, that's got to go, right? See, he has to dwell with her. And he leaves his mother and father, the dwelling he used to have with them, and he dwells with her. So that means this. Listen, guys. It means that you as a husband make your wife, your relationship with your wife, a priority human relationship. All right? Your relationship with God and your wife are very closely linked. And, of course, that does include, too, that you, you, you become the provider of her uh, supplies and sustenance, First Peter, I mean, Timothy just simply says, remember that if anyone doesn't uh, provide for his own family, especially his own household, then he, he really has denied the faith and really is worse than an unbeliever. All right, so he's going to dwell with her. That's what God wants. See, God's kind of marriage involves an irreversible commitment of two people to each other eternally. So that's what it is. You are committed to one another for life. So cleaving to one another means in sickness and in health, right? In poverty and in wealth, in pleasure and in pain, in joy and in sorrow, in good times and in bad times, in agreements and in disagreements. You're to dwell with your wife. That's what it says there. You're to dwell with your wife. Of course. Close proximity dwelling and long dwelling includes the next commitment. Look what it says in verse number 7. You husbands, live with your wives, notice what it says here, in an understanding way. In an understanding way. Actually, the term, the word here is, is just simply the word to know. All right? To know with understanding and consideration. One person put it like this, with an intelligent recognition of the nature of the marriage relation. So a Christian husband is to live with his wife in an understanding way with a conscious sensitivity toward her. All right? You know what that means, man? We've got a lot of work. Because we really need to know our wife. That's what it's saying simply. Know your wife. Understand her. Understand her. And that may mean that you may need to investigate her moods. What makes her moods change? I can't give you the answer to that because every woman's different, right? And everything about a woman, it's your job, not my job, to investigate it. But why does 
the, my wife's mood change? Why does your wife's mood change or your future wife or the wife that you're going to have? What about her feelings? What makes her happy? What makes her sad? Do you know that? Now, the things that make her sad or disappointed, I don't want to do those things. Right? I want to stay away from those things. The things that make her happy, I want to know what they are so I can supply them to her as a husband, as carrying out my commitment to understand her. Also, what about her thoughts? They say that women think from not two perspectives like men, but from four perspectives. Men, we have a lot of homework to do in this area. They say that in her mind, you have to ask certain things. It's, It's what she thinks is the first perspective. The second one is in her emotion, what she feels. The third one is her will, what she wants. And the fourth one is the spirit, what God wants her to do. And so she is thinking through things, and the ultimate bottom line for a woman who wants to serve the Lord is, what does God want me to do? And you've got to help her get there. You've got to understand uh, why she would see something different than you do. Why she would get a different perspective on, of, on something than you do as a man. Why is that? Isn't that true? It is true. It's very, it's, it's maybe easy to put on paper, but it's very hard to evaluate. But a man is to dwell with his wife in an understanding, considerate way so he knows the answers to these questions when it comes to his wife. What about her needs? What does she really need right now? Not what she needed when we first got married. Maybe you're 15 years into the marriage. What does she need now? The needs change, don't they? Emotional needs change. Feelings change. All kinds of things change. Your wife may need something different during the phases of life than she did when you first got married. And so you have to answer that question. What does she need? What does she really need? In fact, uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, I, I took scuba training. One of the part of the training was... Uh, called share air, shared air. And that means when you're down a certain amount of feet underneath the water, there's no coming up for air if you run out. Matter of fact, if you're down 100 foot, you cannot just come up because the air bubbles in your blood are so small at 100 foot that if you try to come up real fast because you got scared, you would just the bubbles would just explode you. Uh, you would just be a basket case the rest of your life if you ever survived that at all. So you're supposed to buddy breathe. And if I ran out of air, that's why you always go with someone else. It was a partnership. If I ran out of air, I would signal to my buddy that I ran out of air, whatever the reason was, uh, and he, you would begin to share uh, the apparatus, the breathing apparatus, until you got to the top. Now, at that point of needing air, uh, of course, was the greatest need I had, right? And... Sometimes that's the way men have to think about the needs of their wife. That it it, it is a need now. It's not something to be put off. It's not something to be shoved to the side. It's something to to address right now. Not all the needs. But the needs that are most important to her, we need to learn to address and find out why she would have a particular need at that time and then how can we meet it? What are the plans that we could 
put together to meet that uh, particular need? What are her fears? What is she afraid of? Uh, There's many fears I think women have that men don't have. But we need to alleviate those fears. Also, her hopes. What's her hopes and dreams? What does she want to accomplish in her life? Where does she want to be at a certain point? What does she want for her kids? What does she want in terms of education? See, men often know their wives and, and try every day to begin to answer those questions. I mean, just simple things. Do you know what flavor ice cream your, life, your wife likes? you know what color she likes? you know the things she don't like? I bet if you asked her, what don't you like, that would be a nice long conversation. Right? Right. But you know what? Maybe we need to have those conversations. What don't you like I'm doing? Because you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. Aren't we like that, men? We, we don't always know that. We don't know the answer to that. You've got to tell us. But when, you, when they tell us, we need to pray and ask God to. Because you know what? I think that anytime your wife tells you stuff like that, you need to go pray. Don't respond all the time. Pray. And ask the Lord for wisdom and strength to come back and to now adjust things so you can answer those questions and you can understand who she is. And not understand in that way, but understand, remember, God designed a woman different than a man, right? He, he designed her and wired her differently for a different task and a different role than you do. Uh, of course, our society doesn't really bend that way uh, to the really the destruction of women, not the help of women. God has given Christian husbands an important task of which there should be no excuse to claim ignorance. But I, I do have to warn Christian husbands that there are several things that are deadly to the process of trying to find out and understand your wife if you're doing it at all. And I think the first one is this, that there can be spirituality killers. Men... You know what? It's all about men. It's all about men. When it comes to the spiritual things, it's about the man. If the man is not leading his family spiritually, then he's not doing what he ought to do in the first place, right? If men, if you come to church, you'll bring your family to church. If you come to Sunday school, you'll bring your family to Sunday school. If you come to prayer meeting, they'll follow you. See, it's about the men. Not making excuses spiritually, but saying, this is what we ought to do, this is what we're going to do, to become such a habit in your home. You don't even talk about it or think about it, it's something you do, right? See, that's got to be first. If your wife, I have found that women desire greatly to serve God. They, they're, they're servants in their heart. But when their husbands are wandering off, you know, paying attention to this and that and doing all these things, and she doesn't want to go that way. See, you're already closing off the, the, the lines of communication and shutting things down. Men, put God first. Be the leader in that way, and don't allow spirituality killers to get into your home uh, because they are really devastating to the rest of the process. Also, there's intimacy killers. And that's hurting her with your tongue. Insensitive and unkind and hateful words often come out of your mouth. Short, angry, and demanding words 
are not something that ever help a marriage, ever. You're pouring gasoline on the fire when you use wrong words. Do you realize that? The word says, let your words be fitting words. Words that fit into the right piece that fits into the puzzle. Choose words that are gracious and kind and uplifting and encouraging, right? And you know what? It doesn't mean you don't ever feel angry. And it doesn't mean that you don't want to say some things. But you know what? If you are wanting to vent with an angry attitude, don't. Go before God, review the thing before the Lord, and then come back when you're cooled off and calmed down and prayed up, and then talk to your wife, maybe about a sensitive issue or something that you need to address. Right? That's the only way to do it. Uh, Being unreliable and inattentive and thoughtless and untrustworthy and irresponsible doesn't help your marriage. But I think that those things slip in as the longer and longer you're married. You take for granted of each other. Both people do. And so your interests go in another direction, and you think everything's all right on the home front, and you know it's not. It's not. And, of course, there there sometimes are are social killers, and that could be that the man spends too much time with his friends, too much time on a sport, too much time doing something they just like to do, and their wife may not like to do it. And, and they just spend too much time, and, and that's not a good thing. All right? See, God's calling us, reeling us in and say, listen, it doesn't mean you can't do those things, but put them in balance. All right? Do some things your wife likes to do, too. Go places she likes to go. Even if you don't like to do it, go. Why? Because she wants to do it. You know? She wants to do it. See, a part of a social, the social killer, too, is spending money incorrectly. Money is a killer when it's used incorrectly. So, see, husbands ought to know their wives. They ought to know them. And it's going to take your time of investigation to find out uh, whether you know her or not. And all kinds of areas I can bring up. So the family and home are meant to be an environment where human beings can find shelter and warmth and protection and safety in each other that husbands need to be committed to knowing their wives and providing an environment for her to be nurtured in. And I pray that uh, today may be the day you need to re-examine that whole thing, the whole thing, and, and, and readjust some things and reevaluate some things. And that's all right. That's what the Word of God, God is about, right? The Word of God is not only to break us down, it's to build us up and correct us so we know how to be a man thoroughly furnished, Right? Unto all good works. That's what the Word of God's about. It's to build us up and make us strong and make, make us the picture that we ought to be. I think another thing that comes in under verse number uh, 7 is as you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. And then notice what it says here. As with someone weaker. Someone who is weaker. That means the Christian husband needs to know his wife is different by God's design. In spite of what the culture is saying about men and women. That both men and women are alike, they can do the same things, they have the same ability and strengths. That's hogwash. They're not alike. The Bible is stressing here that there is a marked difference between men and women. And that Christian husbands are to acknowledge the proper relations, the 
proper really relation of the sexes that God has designed and act with tenderness, wisdom, and understanding. So why is the husband to be considerate to his wife? It says here because she is a weaker vessel. They left the word vessel out, but it is included in there. And weaker in the sense of, I think the vessel gives us the key to interpretation of this passage. It, it, It talks about body parts. In Thessalonians, it says, know how to possess your vessel. That means your body. Know how to control it when it comes to, when it comes to relationships with people and, and uh, controlling your passions and your desires and all those things. So it has to do here in this sense that, of course, there are several interpretations of what it means uh, that the woman is weaker. It surely doesn't mean that she's weaker mentally or morally or spiritually, but she is weaker in some physical sense different than men in that way. But I think it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that, uh, that she is, for example, a, a doctor named Paul uh, Popino, a founder of the American Institute of Family Relations in Los Angeles, had dedicated most of his life in the research of the area of the bio- biological differences between men and women. Here are some of the things that he, he founded. Uh, this is just for information's sake. Uh, on an average, he said that men possess 50% more brute strength than women. 40% of man's body weight is muscle. Only 23% is that for women. Women are different in that they have several unique and important functions that men don't have. Both physically, uh, they can have babies. Uh, that makes us quite different, doesn't it? And uh, I could never really understand what a woman is going through when she is going through labor uh, and, and, ha- and in pregnancy. And uh, you want to talk about mood changes? Uh, pregnancy is the time that a woman is on a roller coaster, right? She's up and down and all around. And, uh, uh, and so that's going to have to be something that we consider. There's that time in life that there's something different. Of course, uh, he also uh, discovered that women's, women's hormones are of a different type and more numerous than man's. That's interesting. Also, that women's vital capacity or breathing power is significantly lower than men's due to their smaller lungs. Uh, Also, women's blood contains more water and 20% fewer red blood cells. Since the red blood cells, he says, supply oxygen to the body cells, women tires, or women tire more easily Uh, and are prone to faint more than men. So I'm just saying that that a woman is weaker in that sense, physically, right? But that's not really where the Scripture is going this morning. That's part of it. That's a small part of it. God wanting to understand the physical difference between men. It's going here. The word vessel, the word vessel is a very interesting word because in Scripture it is used to uh, point to a, a, a vessel, a container, uh, of a vase. You see this beautiful vase up here uh, brought over by Socorro with these beautiful flowers from her backyard. That this vase um, is, is a delicate thing, but it is important for that vase to be there to portray the beauty of the flowers. Or the flowers would be all strewn over the floor, right? And you wouldn't see the beauty like that. 
So the Bible is saying, listen, the woman, the woman is like a jar of clay or a clay jar, a beautiful, fragile vase, which is not built for strength. It's built to display beauty. That's what it's built for. And so beautiful vases are usually placed up high, right? They're placed away from kids trying to pull things off the shelf. Why? Because especially if they're an expensive vase, and I, and I think I can include that here, that a woman is a fragile, expensive vase. And she's to be placed to, at a place that she's to be protected, and she's be, to be lifted up, and she is to be honored. That's what she is to be. And see, that's how a husband knows that he's getting and starting to understand that his wife is different because he doesn't want any damage to come to her, both emotionally or physically or any other way, and she doesn't, he doesn't want any harm to come to her. So the Christian husband is to treat his wife like a beautiful, fragile vase. If misused or abused, it could reach a point in which there could be irreparable damage because there's a fragileness to it. That is different than men. There's a fragileness to a woman that is different than men. Now, when you look at it like that, when you get a scriptural perspective of, of, of your wife, then you start thinking different. If, you, if men, if you thought of your wife like that, you would really start thinking different about some of the things that you have done or will, are planning on doing. Because that's who she is, that she is weaker, not intellectually or, like I said, morally, but it's really in the area of uh, pure, the pure physical area that she is weaker than you are. And so that's how we're to look at our wife. We're to be committed to her, know that she is different in that way, and also know that uh, she is a little bit more complicated than men are, and she needs to be understood and investigated. And that's going to take the whole of your marriage. That's going to take the whole of your marriage. Now, there's one other thing that, I, that, that is included in that, and here's the third commitment. The third commitment is to treat them with honor. Look what it says in verse number 7. You husbands live with your wives as if someone weaker, since she is a woman... All right, meaning just emphasizing the difference that, remember, God created man and created woman. There's a difference there, right? He created woman to be the helpmate of the man. He created woman to have the children, to raise the children, to be in the home. All right? And then it says there, and show her honor. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, that the husband should give honor to his wife because she... His wife is equally God's vessel. And God gives honor to her as a fellow heir of the riches that she has in Christ Jesus if she is a believer. And not only that, but she is God's creation. She is God's special gift to Adam. Remember, Adam couldn't find any relationship or names for all the animals, and God put him to sleep, and it, he took one of the ribs from his side. And the reason why she's called woman is because she came out of the side of Adam, right? 
And Adam actually is the, the Hebrew word that means dirt. And, and he formed the woman out of the dirt. And uh, he gave it to the woman to him as a gift to be his helper, to be his companion, to be his lover, to enjoy life together as she tilled the fields and went to work, as she bore the children, as they now had authority over the earth and over the animals and, and over creation. They had a lot of responsibility Adam and Eve had. And so that's still true today. That once we become believers, maybe we didn't think like any of this before, but we ought to be thinking about it right now, right? Because this is, this is how we please God, men, is that when we see our wives in a way where we treat them with honor, whether we're at home, before the kids, we're treating them with honor. Whether we're in public, whether we're before our peers, we're never putting them down. We're always lifting them up. We're always putting that vase on the high shelf. And say, that's my wife. That's God's gift to me. I honor her because I share life with her. That's a gift. I share marriage with her. That's a gift. If God's will, you share children together. That's a gift. If you're both believers and you have eternal life through Jesus Christ, that is a gift. And, of course, that's where it's looking at here, that she has this uh, God's gift of life eternal. Uh, so that means the woman has just as much right spiritually before God as he does. Even though she's been called to a different role in design, and the man has been called to a, a different role in design. And they both recognize how God made them, and now they can be begin to function in the marriage in a way that they couldn't before. Because why? They're understanding how God designed things. Right? He's the master designer. All right, I get it now. It's not five courts. It's four courts. You get it? Now I get it. I'm not going to ruin the engine. I'm not going to blow out the seals with the pressure. I'm getting it. Men, we got to get it. And then, you know what? When we do get it, Want to have a happy home? Want to have a good marriage? This is the way to have it. This is the way to have it. But I tell you what, men, uh, there's some confession of pride that needs to go in here. Right? There's uh, some uh, swallowing of male chauvinism that has been handed to you by our culture. And there is a totally different view of what women are. Our culture does not portray women as honored vessels. They portray women as usable uh, vessels that you can throw away when you're done with them. You know what? That's not the way God pictures or shows us how a woman is, right? And so, therefore, here's a commitment to treat your wife with honor, with honor, and put her on a high shelf, especially the high shelf of your heart. And I think that Christian husbands, I don't think they will want to damage a relationship that's growing like that. I don't think they will want to throw uh, uh, something into the mix that's going to mess it up. Because you know what? Men as well as women want to have a happy life. They want to have a good marriage. They really do. And so the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is God's word because God is the one who designed it.
But there's one more commitment before I close. And it's found in the last part of verse number 7. Men, just listen to this, men. If you do those things, then the commitment that follows is that you're going to maintain a spiritual atmosphere in your home. You're going to set the thermostat at the right temperature, and you're going to be able to live and function together. Look what it says. You husbands, live with your wives so that, at the end of the verse, so that your prayers will not be what? Hindered. You get that? When you don't treat your wife right, you cut off the power of God in your life. That's a frightening passage of Scripture. It means, the word, the, the Greek words, don't, it means don't let anybody cut in on you. Don't let anything cut in on your growing relationship with your wife. Especially when it's going well. Don't let a lack of consideration or a lack of honor for your wife cut in on your prayer life and power and then severely cripple your relationship with God and your wife. You don't want to do that. Dissensions in the home prevent united prayers on which many of God's blessings depend, especially in the home. See, she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be cut in on. So when you go to prayer, God will hear you. Lucas says over in uh, verse number 10 and 12, through 12 of that same chapter, chapter 3, it says, For the one who desires life to love and see good days, don't you desire that? It says, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He's quoting from the Old Testament here. Verse 11, he must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Men, if you want to do evil in your home, you shut God off from your life and the power that you can have to live as a righteous husband. Not a perfect husband, a righteous husband that God can bless. God can bless. And so, see, that is what the Lord is saying in the Word of God about your commitment. That Christian husbands today, today is the day to make these commitments a goal in your heart and to fulfill these commitments in everyday life. Today's the day. Whether you're a husband, been a husband for a long time, whether you're anticipating being a husband very soon or in the near future. If you're a young person who is a long way off, I wish I was sitting there at 10 years old and getting this information because it would have helped me a lot. I never got any of those things because it wasn't the Word of God that information was coming from, right? So there's a great privilege. And not only that, there's a great privilege for young women and women to know how their husbands ought to be and start praying for them if they're not, right? This Lord, this is the husband I, I desire in my heart. Bickering and going back and forth and, you know, making your uh, women, trying to make your men do what they ought to do is not going to work. It's going to blow up in your face. 
So what is it? The commitment to dwell with your wife for a long time in happiness, right? And blessing. Also, the commitment to be considerate of your wife as a fragile vessel and gift given to you by God. The commitment to treat your wife with honor as a fellow sister in Jesus Christ and joint heirs with you in, the, in, in not only the ministry, but in, in serving Christ and in the kingdom of God. And then the commitment to keep your prayers open and reaching heaven. That's the commitment you have, man. And it's a, it's a big commitment. But it's a doable commitment because it's God's word that's been given to us to put into practice, right? And by God's spirit, it will be put into practice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the Word of God. I just pray, Lord, it would sink deep into hearts. I pray, Lord, that it would be placed uh, in the mind of those men who need to know these things. Lord, help the men to reevaluate their life. Help them to understand their wives. Help them to know how to change. Help them to submit to you, Lord, and put you first in all things. Help them to be good churchmen and good men of God before their wives and family. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless the men represented in this congregation this morning with a blessed life because they're putting the instructions in the operating manual into practice. And I pray in doing so that they would, Lord, reap the benefits of what the Bible says, that they may inherit a blessing, that they may have their prayers answered, that they may continue to have the power of God to live a righteous life before God and have a happy and wholesome marriage. Please, Lord, bless this. Let our marriages be a picture of how Christ loved the church. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.